We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter uh, 4, verse 7 through 11. Are you there? Are you ready? Let's read it together. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you, Lord, for just uh, this beautiful weather. Thank you for gathering us together. Lord, I thank you that we get this opportunity to meet with you and to hear from you and Father, I pray that today your spirit would work among us, speak to us, guide me as I teach your word, Lord, but I pray that today we would be stirred up to be people who are generous givers of ourselves. Um, Help us, Lord, to follow you in this way. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it is Jesus who said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's also Jesus who said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus also said, if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Then later, in a few verses later, he said, no servant is greater than his master. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, you were called to be a giver. That's really the main idea for the time together today is that Jesus' followers are givers. We're givers. If we're going to imitate Christ, He lived His life for the betterment of others. Is that how people would describe you? If I asked, tell me about you. Would your closest friends, would your family say, man, they are a giver. They are a giver. They are so generous. One person says, to live for Christ is to give for Christ. To live for Christ is to give for Christ. If I'm called to follow Jesus, I'm called to give of myself. This is the dominant characteristic of the Jesus follower. It's self-sacrifice for the glory of God. It's the life of I become less, this is what John said, I become less and less, you become more and more. So I diminish and others and God increases in my life. That's what characterized the life of Christ. Christ came and he poured himself out for the good of others. That's what he did. We're called to do the same. John 7.38 says, Whoever believes in me, 
as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So there's two things here. Whoever believes in me, whatever you've received from me out from you will then flow refreshment to others. There's the input of Christ in us and then the output of Christ through us. That if I'm going to follow Jesus, I live a life being a giver towards others. We've been in this series called Jesus Follower where we're learning to imitate Christ and we're applying the mission of our church here. Our mission is to love God and to love people and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. And what we believe, why believers exist. If you follow Jesus, we believe that this should be your life mission. I wake up in the morning and I exist to love God, to love people, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So the series that we've been in has been trying to apply that mission. Because I'm called to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ, then I devote myself, I intentionally pursue these five practices. And here, this is what we spent the whole series on. We're towards the end of it now. Um, these five things. God time, we spend one-on-one -on -one time with God daily. A gather time, we're going to gather weekly to worship. A group time, where you're involved in some smaller group where you can know and be known, where you can experience a real community and accountability, give time. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then go time next week, okay? Today we're going to focus in on give time. And what we see in the text in 1 Peter is four things that I get to give myself to. As I follow Jesus, there's four things in the passage that I get to give myself to. And the first one we see is this, I give myself to prayer. I give myself to prayer. Surprising, I know. Have you noticed that prayer has been in almost every one of the sermons in this series? And it's because prayer is, is the thing that covers every area of the Christian life. You're like, man, this is getting old. Every sermon, there's something about prayer. Yeah, it's because it should be the main thing we devote ourselves to, we give ourselves to. Look at verse 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. Take that line by line. He says, the end of all things is at hand. What does he mean by that? Well, we have to ask, was he wrong about this? Because Peter here, he's speaking as though the end is near. And we are now 2,000 years further. What do you mean by near, Peter? <laughs> what do you mean by at hand, Peter? So the question is, was he wrong? Did he believe something that wasn't true? Is he teaching something that isn't true? Or is there a way to understand this uh, a 
little clearer. The end, of course, I think he's speaking of the end being the end of all things, the end, the great day of the Lord when Christ returns, the second coming of Christ. And he's saying at hand, which means that it's, it's coming, it's, it's soon, it's on its way. The end is at hand, the goal of all things, the consummation of all creation is headed towards the end. He's saying it's at hand. Well, we've got to understand that biblically speaking, the end time is the period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. That's the end. That's the end times. The last period of time between the first coming and the second coming. So he was correct in saying the end is at hand. He's in that period. And we would be correct in saying we are in the end times. And we're getting closer daily. So the end is at hand. The end is coming. We are in the end times. I think what he's wanting to communicate through this statement is the idea of urgency and preparedness. Are we living with an urgency like Christ could return any moment? Am I living my life with so much focus and purpose that if Christ returned, I'd be ready? And preparedness. Am I, am I, am I ready for him to come back? If he came back today, would it be like, yes, I'm ready, I'm ready. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Are you living prepared? Are you living urgent and expectant? The idea is that there's no time to waste. Don't waste your life. You don't know how much time that you have. We got to live like the end is near. How do, we, how do we live like the end is near? He's like, uh, give like there's no tomorrow. What if we do that? Isn't that interesting? Like, live like the end is near. How? Give like there's no tomorrow. Because whether or not the end, um, the end of all things is near, uh, your end might be near. For all of us, for every one of us, the end is near. For, for every one of us, the Lord is at hand. You are not guaranteed another tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another day. And so even uh, if Christ does not return in your lifetime, you're going to meet him. Your end might be near. That's a little morbid. Yes, I'm sorry. But it's what he says there, right there. The end of all things is at hand. Live with expectancy. Live with urgency. Don't waste your time. He says the end is at hand, so what do we do? What do we do? Because the end is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. The idea of self-controlled is, is the idea of being supremely sane. Supremely sane. That you see things in proper proportions. Um, you discern what is important and what is not important. You see things from an eternal perspective. I, 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 experience, I control myself in the sense that 
I don't allow myself to wander into nonsense. I have a balanced thinking. I'm self-controlled. And he says, and be sober-minded. The idea here is to uh, take things seriously. To take, take things seriously, especially in regards to prayer. That we don't live frivolous, frivolous, frivolous. I don't even know how to, you know what I want to say, all right? You all try to say it. See, there we go. We don't live that way. We live, we live uh, diligently, seriously. And here's the thing, this is difficult for me because I am a non-serious person, as you can tell. A non-serious person. Anytime somebody tells me anything, I'm thinking of a sarcastic remark. And in my mind, whenever you tell me serious things, I'm holding myself back. I'm like, just it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. <laughs> One of the things I love about our church and our culture is, is that we like to have fun. We can laugh and, and enjoy, and there's like a lightheartedness. That laughter is a good medicine. And and so I love that about us, and, and so I tell the staff that like, we don't take ourselves uh, too seriously, but we, we do take the Lord seriously. We do take the Bible seriously, and there has to be a, there has to be a moment where you can be sober-minded and just know whenever it's time to be serious about some things, to think rightly about some things, that prayers are more effective whenever they're done so thoughtfully. So he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Think about what you're going to be praying. This idea, sober-minded, self-controlled, is it means to remain spiritually and mentally alert. To remain awake in your right mind. Spiritually observant. Aware of spiritual realities. What does this look like? Let's uh, flip over to 1 Thessalonians 5 real quick. And, and um, here's the idea of self-controlled and sober-minded. He says, now concerning the end times, as Peter just referenced, the seasons, brothers, you have uh, no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, the end time, will come like a thief in the night. So, so be ready, live urgently. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, you'll be ready for it. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. What he's saying is in light of the times we're living, where Christ could return at any time, we need to remain spiritually awake and alert and ready. Self-controlled and sober-minded. But he says the reason for this alertness of mind is for the sake of your Prayers, for the sake of your prayers. 
It's interesting, the closer we get to the end, the more we should be praying. Doesn't it seem like the people who are most fascinated by end times things, just trying to figure it out, I got the timeline together, I figured, I got the dates, you know, I know what's happening, he's going to return in Jackson, Mississippi, right? 2024, he's coming, he's coming back. Seems like they don't devote themselves as fervently to prayer. And he's saying, hey, if you think the end is coming near, you better be praying. That's what you give yourself to. I wonder if Peter had in mind his experience with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, this is in Matthew 26. And uh, last week referenced, this is one of the uh, times where Jesus took just the three, Peter, uh, James, and John. And so in Matthew 26, um, Verse, let's just look at verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus is the night before he is, he is, he is going to the cross, and, and so he goes to pray. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Get it? Stay alert. Sober-minded, self-controlled. Watch with me. Watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them, what? Sleeping. He said to them, Peter, could you not watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this not pass, cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So even again, he went away, prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. And when he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, my betrayer is at hand. I wonder if Peter, as he's writing this instruction in his letter, 1 Peter, if he's remembering back to this moment where the end was at hand, where Christ was facing death, and he needed his friends to be watchful and prayerful, and I just wonder if he thought, I wish I had been self-controlled. I wish I had been sober-minded. I wish I had been awake so that I could pray when it mattered. You know how you pray? 
when it feels like your world is ending? You know what I'm talking about? You got some news, you got, and you pray more fervently than you've ever prayed, more passionately than you've ever prayed, devote more time to prayer than you ever have whenever it feels like your world is ending. He's like, that's how we should pray all the time. Our prayer life should reflect the reality that the end is near. We pray. I give myself to prayer. Secondly, I give myself to love. I give myself to love back at uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 8. He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. So he says, uh, above all, love. Love one another. He says, earnestly. Earnestly. This, this word, earnestly, love earnestly, is uh, a medical term for like a stretching of a muscle. It is used in other Greek literature to describe um, a horse in full gallop. So like fully stretched out muscles working or also a runner straining for the tape at the finish line of the race. So you're at the very end of the race. You see the tape. You're, so you push that last stretch in there. It is a word that means to uh, stretch, to strain. So when he says love earnestly, he's like love energetically. Uh, put, put some effort into your love. Love like love people like you're trying to win the Love Olympics. I'm going to love you better than anyone has ever loved you. Like stretch your ability to love people. He says this love covers a multitude of sins. That love has um, a grace that covers offenses, that covers faults. Are you a coverer of people's sin or, or an uncoverer? Wayne Grudem uh, said this about this verse. He said, we love, where love abounds in fellowship of Christians, Many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. What he's saying is that the act of love is one that readily forgives and overlooks offenses. You offend me, I'm not even going to tell you you've offended me. And I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm just going to cover it with grace. I'm just going to forgive it. It's an overlooking of offense. It, it does not mean 
that what they did was okay. It is not sweeping it under the rug. It does not mean that they don't necessarily need to repent or apologize or any of that. It means as far as it depends on me, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to cover it with grace because that's what God did for me. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses, and, but hatred stirs it up. So you have some people who, who they um, are looking for sin to then broadcast that sin to everyone. I'm looking for it, I'm going to uncover it, and I'm going to let people know about it, I'm going to let you know about it, I'm going to let Sally know about it, I'm going to let Billy know about it, everybody's going to know about it, because I am a sin uncoverer. Some people feel like this is their ministry. I have the, I have the ministry of uncovering. I have the ministry of accountability and discernment, that's what it is. I have the ministry of discernment, where I uncover, but he says there, hatred stirs up strife. It's what hatred does. But love covers all offenses. Which means this, that you're going to have to love some people who are unlovely, who are unlovable. It means loving people in spite of their insult and injury. It means loving people when love is not returned. That's what it looks like. Covering offenses. Can you um, point to a love in your life uh, that is stretching you? Can, can you point to a love where a relationship in your life that your ability to love is being stretched? And he's like, that's the kind of love I'm talking about. The kind of love that stretches you. The kind of love that's difficult. The kind of love that Worldly people can't do. Anyone can, unbelieving people, they can love people who are lovely. They can love people who love them back. But Christian people are marked by a love for unlovely people. Love forgives. It covers offenses. How do I know if I've forgiven the person? I've, I've taught this to you before, but these three things that I don't know I've forgiven the person. I don't bring it up to them. I don't bring it up to others. And I don't bring it up to myself. That's why I know I've forgiven. And whenever you find yourself bringing it up to them or to others or to, I'm not saying that there's not a time to reconcile and to resolve things. I'm not saying that. But if you find yourself always bringing these things up, That's a warning. That's an alert. I haven't forgiven. And God help me to forgive as you've forgiven me. Who is God calling you to give grace to today? Who has injured you? And he's calling you to cover their offense. So we give ourselves to love. It covers. and But it also, um, love welcomes. He says in verse 9, uh, to show hospitality to one another without uh, grumbling. Now, hospitality, 
uh, in the first century culture would have been um, essential in the sense that there were, uh, one, traveling missionaries, and there weren't inns and hotels like we know them today. There wasn't Airbnb, none of that. So uh, there was a necessity for Christian hospitality. But then also you have um, sometimes being obedient to the call to follow Jesus meant that you were excommunicated from your family. And family was your only real support system. And so what he's saying is that, hey, you need to show hospitality because there's, there's, there's these uh, maybe missionaries who are traveling. They need to have a place where they can be taken care of. But then also there's some of your brothers and sisters who they have no other family because they've been kicked out and you need to make sure they're taken care of. But even though our culture is different, I think he still is sharing a more broad application that Christian people are people who welcome others. Welcome the stranger. Open our homes. Care for those in need. Isn't this where we get our word hospital from the word hospitality? Taking in people, caring for them, making them well, blessing them, meeting their needs. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And so we need to be people who are hospitable, welcoming, opening of ourselves, of our homes to others. Maybe who is someone who you can invite into your home this month? Maybe you make it a goal once a month. We're going to have some people over. We're going to welcome some people. Some of you are really good at this. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. And you always have people over into your home. My wife had some ladies over into her home yesterday. She just had some people over. And we just showed some hospitality. And they had a good time. And, um, welcoming others into your home. Uh, I want you to think about it this way. If you're going to be able to show hospitality, you have to be able to have extra to give. And, and so maybe um, an application of this is you saving a portion so that you have something to give when someone is in need. What if you just pre-decided, I'm going to have some portion, some uh, finances, some, some resources, something available. So if somebody asks for something, I have something to give. I, I can be a blessing. I don't have to say no. I can show hospitality. But it's, it's look at this. It's interesting. He says, do so without grumbling. Without grumbling. It's interesting that he doesn't say do so with joy. Do so with zeal. He says, do so without grumbling. It's, it's like he's anticipating an attitude check. It, it, because there's something natural in us that resists giving, resists generosity and hospitality. And so he's like, you got to be, check your attitude. God doesn't just care about your actions. He cares about your attitude in it as well. Uh, hospitality is to be offered unbegrudgingly to one another. Which means that I don't resent 
the time and the expense that goes into this hospitality. I don't grumble. I don't murmur. It's a, it's a low complaining. I don't murmur. I don't grumble about the inconvenience or the expense of the hospitality that is showed. You have some people who, who they give, they give, but they, they just complain about the giving. Yeah, that person, they always, they always need something, you know. I, I always give, and no one ever gives back to me. I mean, I'm just so generous, and it's so difficult, and, and he's like, hey, cut that out, all right? Check your attitude. Let's, let's be hospitable people without grumbling. Let me ask you, how earnest is your love? You being stretched right now? Maybe you're grumbling right now as I talk about the grumbling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course I'd come on giving week. Oh, my. You know, I can't believe this. Okay? We give ourselves to prayer. We give ourselves to love. And we give ourselves to stewardship. That's number three. To be good stewards. Look at verse uh, 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified. So, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The idea is that we are stewards of the things we've been given, of God's grace. A steward is not just a person who serves drinks on an airplane, okay? A steward is someone who uh, is employed to manage another person's property, uh, especially a large house or a state, the dictionary says. A person whose responsibility it is to take care of something. So, a steward is someone who they're managing, they're taking care of, someone else's things, and they're going to be responsible and give an account for their management of such things. And what he's saying is that we are stewards of God's grace, that God's grace has been poured out to us in generous gifts, and we are to steward those things, we're to manage them, and we're going to give an account for that one day. And so a steward realizes that what I have is not mine. It is a gift from God. He says that right in verse 10 is each has received a gift. So i got to realize that all my uh, money and my time, my energies, everything that I have, my skills, my abilities, my insights, my thoughts, all of this is a gift from God that I am to steward in a way, not not for myself, but in a way that God wants it done, in a way that He's going to be pleased whenever I give an account. So the steward knows the gift is not for me. It's not mine. And a good steward um, knows that the gift is not for me, but it's for others. This is so interesting because a gift generally is something that is for you. Like we're getting ready. Christmas time is coming. Maybe you're already buying Christmas gifts and and getting ready to give gifts. and, And generally at Christmas, you open a gift and it's for you. It's for your enjoyment. It's for your pleasure. It's for your joy. And so you get to enjoy the gift. But he's saying the difference about the gifts that God gives is that he gives them to you to give to others. They're not primarily for your enjoyment, though you will enjoy it. 
they're primarily for the good of others and the glory of God. So the gift that I've been given is not for me, but it's for others. He has given you something to give to others. And he gives us two categories of, of gifts. Um, each has received a gift to serve one another as, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here's the two kinds. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. So it's two categories. The, the gift of speech and the gift of a service. So he says, whoever speaks the oracles of God, now, uh, as speaking the oracles of God, sorry, um, he's not just talking about preaching. Whoever speaks, the speeching gifts are things like teaching, preaching. Um, they involve all types of speech gifts like evangelism, teaching, prophesying, uh, perhaps even singing or sharing a word of praise or a testimony in assembled gathering. All these things, speech gifts. And what he's saying is you should speak as though you're speaking the oracles of God. He's not saying you speak and say, this is the oracles of God. This is what God said. Thus says the Lord, you better do it. He's saying speak as though it's the oracles of God in the sense that there should be a seriousness to what you say when you're operating in your speech gift. Whenever you're speaking, you should speak as though you are sharing the word of God. And then he says, uh, gifts of service. And whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That God gives the strength. Um, you have a gift, and, and you should use it to serve others. Here's five things about spiritual gifts. First one is that every Christian has a gift. Every Christian has a gift. No Christian can claim that he or she has nothing to offer the church. I've got nothing. I'm not gifted in any way. Yes, you are. You, you have a gift. Everyone does. And secondly, your gift may be different than someone else's. Notice he says that we are stewards of the varied grace of God. Maybe your translation says the manifold. I think that might communicate it a little more clearly. The manifold grace of God. Manifold meaning many folds, many sides, many, there's, there's different parts of this in the sense that we all have different gifts. And so just because your gift doesn't look like someone else's gift doesn't mean you don't have a gift. There's many different gifts. Number three is you should use your gift to help other people. You should use your gift to help other people. It is not humility to hide your gift. I just don't, I don't want anybody to know about it. I just, that's not humility. He wants you to use your gift. That's called selfishness. False humility. He's, I want you to use your gift to bless others. Number four, some gifts are noticeable, some unnoticeable, all are helpful. Some are noticeable, some are unnoticeable. So some gifts and the ones you see are the ones that are noticeable. You see the singers and their gift is noticeable. You see the greeters, their gift is noticeable right in front. You, you see the preacher and his gift is noticeable. But there's tons of people that their gift is unnoticeable. You never know they even do what they do 
because you don't see it. And whether or not your gift is noticeable or unnoticeable, your gift is helpful and it's needed. The church needs your gift. And number five, the reason we share our gift is to glorify God. If you're not sharing your gift, there's, there's got to, there, there has to be a, a reality. If you're not sharing your gift, that, then God is not getting as much glory as he should. When you're refusing to share your gift, you're refusing to glorify God. Um, how do I know what gift I have? How do I know what gift I have? Um, the first, the, the best way to explore this is serve, right? He, he's not like, you just, sit, you just sit at home and just, just wonder about this, just ponder it. I wonder, I wonder what gift that I have. He's like, no, get in the game, start serving. You'll find out what you're not good at, probably, and what you're good at. So just start serving. A big portion of how you discover your spiritual gifts is through the testimony of the saints. It's as people begin to affirm the things you're gifted at and, uh, and they don't affirm the things you're not gifted at. So there's, there's both. So serve. Don't just sit around wondering. Here's another practical way I've, I've found that is helpful in discovering what you're gifted at. And uh, this is not foolproof, but I think it seems to be helpful. Um, what, what irritates you? You just think about this. Um, what are the things that you notice that no one else notices? And, and maybe that's the thing that, that you're called to serve in. So for me, it's like I notice bad preaching. What does this mean? I notice bad preaching. Some of you are like, you should watch your own sermons then, right? <laughs> but that's something that irritates me. It's like, no, like, and so I work to, to, to do those things, not always successfully, but that's the thing that irritates me. There's other things I will spare sharing. Let me share you something about my wife. My wife. My wife, my wife, she, <laughs> my wife notices, you know, my wife is gifted at event planning. And, and so if you've ever been to an event she's gone to, I mean, it's, she thinks about all the details no one else thinks about. Her, in her mind, she's thinking about the user experience from the time they come in, you know, and everything that they're going to experience and how can they have the best time at an event. She's thinking about all those things. And, and so whenever she experiences an event that's not well organized, she, that, that kind of irritates her. And she might try to be quiet about it and not grudge it, but she's, you know, that's her holy bothering, okay? What irritates you, okay? What irritates you? Maybe if it's audio quality, maybe you've noticed, hey, we got these things, like they're not totally facing the crowd and, and we're having some audio issues the last couple weeks and if it's audio, maybe you need to serve in the media team and help better the audio experience. Maybe um, for you, if, if lack of organization bothers you, like things, chaos, unorganized, you're like, ah, you know, that's, that's the thing for you. Maybe you need to serve in some administrative role where we put together systems and processes to help um, create some organization, and that's where you're called to serve. Maybe if um, 
financial mismanagement bothers you, you're like, man, I just hate whenever uh, things, people spend money in ways that are not wise, and maybe you're called to work in the finance team where you put together some processes that help us have integrity and wisdom in financial decisions. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. If you're bothered by the state of faith in young people, you like, you're on TikTok and you're like, this is the next generation, oh my goodness. And, and, and it really bothers you in a sense that you're thinking about it more than most people think about it. Maybe you need to serve in student ministry and you need to spend your time pouring into the next generation. Um, if you are bothered by the video quality, you're like, you watch the stream and you're like, is this the best they could do? Maybe you're called to serve in the live stream ministry. Please serve in the live stream ministry, y'all. Come on. Um, what, is, what is your holy bothering? And how can you get involved to make it better? How can you get involved to make it better? Let me, let me tell you a hard truth. If there is a problem at your church that you are not actively seeking to help improve, that is an indictment against you. And so if there's something that bothers me about something uh, inside the church, maybe I'm called to help make it better. How can I make it better? How can I serve others? And, and what I've just found is generally whatever you're passionate about, whatever that thing is that, that you really enjoy or that you really are good at, whatever that thing is, you tend to do it well. You tend to give energy to it more so than if we try to get you to do something that you're not gifted at. And so what is it for you? I, I encourage you to explore, explore that. We're stewards, and we're going to give an account. We're going to give an account. Um, Man, I was thinking about uh, this time when I, when I uh, dog sat for a, a family, a friend of mine when I was younger, and it was uh, just after Christmas time, just after Christmas, the, their tree was still up, there was actually still a few uh, unwrapped presents under the tree, and they were going on some trip or vacation or something, they hired me to come and, and watch their dog, they had a Great Dane, and... Uh, and so I'm watching this dog over a couple days. I go to sleep one night, and um, I wake up the next morning, and the house is destroyed. The house is destroyed. Look under the tree. The, tr the gifts are gone. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What has happened? What has this dog done? I go outside. The gifts are just scattered among the backyard. They had a chess set, chess pieces, all over the place. And I go into panic mode, because they have entrusted me as a steward of their dog in their home. And I'm like, oh no, what has this dog done? I start, I panic, I start running around, I'm cleaning stuff up. I go and, and, and find every chess piece in that backyard. I put that thing back together. I'm like, I am doing my best to clean this up and put it together, and I'm sweating bullets, because I'm like, they're gonna come home, and I'm gonna give an account. I have failed. I was, I was diligent. I was trying to be. <laughs> Everything inside my control. To be a good steward. And they came home and they were like, yeah, whatever. You know, I was like, woo! It was their dog that did it. 
But, but here's what I want you to understand is that we are stewards of God and he will return and we will give an account. And so we should live in a way that, hey, I'm responsible for this thing. I'm managing this life that God's given me. I'm a steward of, of my time and of my resources. You are a steward of the finances that God has given you. You're a steward. And is he going to come? Like, you know, the Bible says, Jesus says, hey, the greatest competitor for your worship is your money. He says you can either serve uh, God or mammon, money. You can't do both. The greatest competitor for your heart is your money. And he says where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Where you put your money, that's where your heart goes. And so are you investing the resources that God has given you into kingdom work? You're going to give an account. He's called us to be good stewards, good stewards of your gift. You're responsible for discovering how God's gifted you and using that for his glory and for the good of the church. Will he find you to be a good steward? Finally, I give myself to glorify God. So I give myself to prayer and I give myself to love and I give myself to stewardship. Finally, I give myself to glorify God. Look at verse 11. He says, whoever serves in the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That everything I do is from the Lord. Because I'm a steward of grace, I realize that this is, I'm not awesome. That God's the awesome one. And therefore, He deserves all the credit, all the glory, all the honor, all the worship. And so, He gets, I, I give myself to glorify God. That's why I'm, I'm here on the planet. How do I know if I'm giving myself to glorify God? When I do something good, do I hope that people will think that I'm a great person? Or do I hope that people think that God is a great God? I think as Christians, we know what the right answer is. I'm not saying you don't know this stuff. But I'm saying, do you ever have a heart check? Like you do something good, what's the first thing you feel? I hope people think I'm an awesome person. I hope people see this cool thing that I did. Or is it, man, I really hope that they see God as awesome. They see that's what it means to live, and, and this is a struggle. This is the difference between uh, in, in Acts, uh, Ananias and Sapphira uh, versus uh, Joseph, or as the apostles called him, Barnabas. And Barnabas was this guy that the church started and people were selling things and being so generous. And Joseph, or Barnabas, he, he, um, he sold a, a, a property and he gave all of the proceeds to the church just gen and, and didn't want any credit, gave God the glory. He did it with a pure heart. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they were like, man, I want people to think that I'm generous like that. And so they sold a piece of property and they gave the proceeds, but they held back some to themselves. But they didn't tell people. 
but they didn't give it all. They told people, we gave it all, just like Joseph. Because their motivation was, I want people to think I'm awesome. Or Joseph, he wanted people to think that God was awesome. And so God killed Ananias and Sapphira, okay? So just be careful. <laughs> We're about to take up an offering. <laughs> be careful. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And we got to realize everything I have is from him and through him. And ultimately, it's all to him. And so he gets all the glory and all the honor. And even though we do good works and we serve and we want to bless people, we do so so that they will see Jesus as glory, glorified. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I live my life for the glory of God. As we respond, as we reflect on what we have just heard, what are you doing with the gift that God has given you? The kind of the, the thrust of this whole message is the point about stewardship, that Jesus' followers are givers, that we are generous people. We have been refreshed so that we could be a refreshing to others. What are you doing with the gifts that God has given you? How are you stewarding God's grace towards you? Um, I'll leave you with this summary by Skip Heisick. He says, when prayer is fervent, when love is preeminent, and when serving is prominent, then God is glorified, the church is edified, and the world is notified that God is real and not until then. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for... God, your word to us and our time to spend in it today. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would work in us to be people who are good stewards of the grace that you've entrusted to us. That we be people who give ourselves to prayer. Pray like the end is near all the time. That we'd give ourselves to love those who are unlovely and be welcoming to the stranger. That we'd give ourselves to stewardship and managing well the things that you've given us. And we give ourselves to your glory. That when we do good, our main motive would be that you would be seen as a greater God because of it. So Lord, come, work in our hearts today, speak to us, show us where we need to apply this message by your grace. In Jesus' name.